Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. The preseason AP Top 25 College Football Poll is out. As far as I'm concerned, that marks the start of the college football season. Now we're still about two weeks away from games being played as we record this. But having the poll hit the wire really makes it feel like the stage is set for a season. As has become tradition around here, we'll talk about voting in the poll with ESPN's Reese Davis, the host of College Game Day. Reese takes us through his ballot, gives us a little idea about how he likes to put it together. We'll talk about which teams might be able to break through the super team block of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. Can LSU and Penn State bounce back from disappointing seasons? And who really is the best team in Iowa? If you want to take a look at the poll, there will be a link in the show notes. But here is the way it shook out. Alabama is number one to start the season for the fourth time in six years. Oklahoma is number two. Clemson is three. Ohio State is four. And Georgia is five. The next five, Texas A&M, Iowa State, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, and North Carolina at number 10. 11 through 15 are Oregon, Wisconsin, Florida, Miami, and USC. 16 through 20, LSU, Indiana, Iowa, Penn State, and Washington at number 20. The last five are Texas, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana, Lafayette, Utah, and Arizona State. One programming note, we will also have an SEC preview podcast in your feed a little later this week. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on appodcast.com. You can find all of AP's podcasts there, including my colleague Rob Motti's NFL podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and just about anywhere you'd like to get your podcast. If you like what you hear, give us a good review and rating. It helps college football fans find us and it helps us find college football fans. If you'd like to email the show, send questions and comments to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. That's aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. I promise I will be getting to those emails very soon. The preview shows haven't been the perfect spot for them. There's been a few that have accumulated, and there's going to be a lot of news coming up in some time in the next couple of weeks, but we will definitely get to your emails. Again, if you'd like to email the show, aptop25mailbag at gmail.com, and away we go. Joining me on the podcast on this, uh, we are recording this on the day the AP preseason top 25 poll is released. It's Almost a little bit like a holiday in my world, just because it's nice to sort of have it behind. It also is nice to have it um, out there so we can sort of feel like it's truly college football season. And every year, or at least the last few years, what we've been doing is um, having Reese Davis come on uh, on the pod and explain, hey, what, how'd you vote this year, Reese? So thanks for doing this again, Reese. How'd you vote this year? <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried with the same philosophy, Ralph. It's a little bit of a, a mix for me. It's a there's a little gut feeling, a little projection, and then I try to you know give credence to returning players who've proven themselves and not get caught up necessarily uh, in solely in recruiting rankings and, and so forth. I know we're going to talk about other things, but I'm one of the six, I believe, that had Oklahoma number one, mm-hmm. yep. and and I think look there there's a very small difference among any of those teams and i think alabama and clemson are demonstrably stronger than oklahoma in some areas the quarterback's most important position in sports it's most important position in college football and of all of the teams that i considered at the top um spencer rattler is easily the most proven commodity now will he be the best at the end that remains to be seen but that gave them the slightest of edges for the moment yeah, I believe you've been voting. You can probably r- remember better than I have, but I, I thought you moved into this voting position uh, the same year that you replaced Chris Fowler on game day. Uh, so that's about five or six years now? It's going into seven. 
Wow. Yeah, so time, uh, time flies when you're having fun, Reese. Yeah, I know it. Uh, it really does. So it's something I, I've enjoyed. It's a, it's an exercise that you know I know that a lot of people vote. You get a some people enjoy the blowback on social media. Others don't. I, I tend to be a little bit of a pleaser, but I've I've gotten <laughs> I've gotten over that by working in television, at least to some degree. And it, you know, you can't explain all of your votes and people if they want to split every hair, they will find some things where you might have uh, you might have given a little more weight in one area to matching up two teams and maybe you didn't give as much weight another time. You know, if you don't use a little bit of art a little bit of art and go with a little gut feel here and there, then you should just devise a formula and stick to it. And you know that's you know hearkening back to the BCS era, people didn't like formulas. So there's there is a bit of a formula, but I always view it as being a little bit of an art with some with some gut instinct and maybe maybe taking some chances here and there as well. Well, I appreciate that you've uh, stuck with us. Anytime you want off, I totally understand because I know sometimes, especially for a guy who uh, does a lot of traveling on the weekend, uh, I'm sure that there are times when it's like, man, I still got to do that poll. <laughs> and, it's, you know, and it's I, two in the I, morning I really, and you're in an I, airport. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I enjoy doing it, but you know what? And I've, I've talked to you about this over the years. The one thing that I fear in doing it is because you have that, uh, the app or the, the website in which you can, mm-hmm. you know, move, you, I can't move the tiles around as easily on some devices as others, but to rank the teams. And when you're sort of shuffling and looking at materials and making notes, I live in absolute fear of accidentally leaving out someone obvious. Now, if I leave out, you know, Alabama or Clemson at two or three, if I move them around and leave them out, you're going to call me. But if it's like when you get down to like a team that obviously should be ranked, but maybe, you know, you had a team, take for instance, I'm looking at the poll right now, let's take Indiana, right? Mm-hmm. I have them ranked a little bit higher than, than they wound up. But just say, for instance, the 17th ranked team, and you're saying, yeah, 17, maybe 20, how do I compare them here? What did I think about the last couple of games I saw? And then you, you X them out and accidentally leave them off the ballot completely. That's what I live in fear of every week. And I try to go back through and look again and again, but sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes you have a little bit of a blind spot. You don't notice it. That's what, that's what I fear the most in doing the poll every week. Well, again, uh, we appreciate you doing it. We appreciate you doing this to come on and, uh, and, and review how, how the ballots fell this year and what you think about the upcoming season. But before we do, because there can't be a week that goes by in college sports and college football de- these days without some kind of news. <laughs> we feel, it's been it's been a lot of news this this off season. But I, as we spoke about, maybe I think you were on the show a couple of maybe a, a month or so ago, a little more than that. Um, at least the news this year isn't about COVID and whether we're going mm-hmm. to play. So so I don't want to complain too much because we are lined up to have a season, um, a, a, a relatively normal season. So good news about that. However, it seems to be news every week, and this past weekend's news, broken by The Athletic, confirmed by everybody else, including myself, um, the idea that the Big Ten, Pac-12, and the ACC are going to, are looking at, I shouldn't say they're going to, are looking at forming something of an alliance. Don't exactly know what exactly that means, because there isn't really any precedent for it. Could mean some games, some some non-conference games. Could mean some voting governance issues. Uh, but when you saw that news, and you talked to people in the business too, so I'm wondering what you sort of gathered over the weekend about what that might be and how it might impact college sports moving forward. In all honesty, the first thing I thought, as weird as this is going to sound, is... I thought of Jim and Dwight in the office making an alliance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of like, do you want to make an alliance? Yes, I do. You know, and it's, um, I, if it's a scheduling alliance, Ralph, I think that's really smart. Uh, the other things I would like to know a little bit more about what they have in mind because it's, it's going to be really difficult for people to, seed their position and power and to make that type of alliance, somebody's going to have to. And I'm hoping it's a, a, I think a scheduling alliance would be very smart. You know, if, if there are other things they want to do together, whether it's, it's something as large as governance 
or if it's simply to be a check and a balance to the power that the SEC has accumulated with Oklahoma and Texas coming in. I think those things could be useful as long as they're not just spiteful. You know, I think it would be wise to make sure everyone is represented in the sport. Um, I would question the wisdom if the sole if the sole purpose of the alliance was to quote unquote offset the SEC. And I don't know if you're making the best decisions not only for the sport but maybe even for your institutions. Scheduling alliance is really smart because you need if you're going to drive revenue, you need great games, you need marquee games. That's why I think the SEC. I read they're talking about a nine game schedule, and I emailed several or texted, I should say, several athletic directors and said nine's not right, ten's right. Last year, that was the one thing that came out of the um, the COVID schedules that, to me, seemed to be smart. Let's play ten game conference schedules, and if the if the other conferences, the ACC, the Big Ten, Pac-12, want to align and fill out the rest of their schedules with each other, uh, I think that's I think that's good for the sport or good for the good for the business of the sport and and certainly would make it much more attractive from a television standpoint and a revenue standpoint for them. Yeah, as we would say in the news business, developing story, more to come, uh, because I do think there's a lot of details to be fleshed out still. Uh, I think we're talking conceptual right now, but I do like the mm-hmm. idea of of possibly doing something schedule-wise because I think the great untapped resource in college football, if you're looking for revenue ge- generation, is is not games but big games, right? right. Because you, you can't, it's not like the NFL where you can just say, okay, we'll we'll play a 17th regular season game. Right. Can't do too much more of that with uh, with unpaid college kids. You can gr- grow the 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 inventory a little bit through the playoff and postseason, but even then, not that much more as far as total games are concerned. Um, but but the over the years, the, the untapped resources. How do we get more big games in college football? That's what the SEC is doing with its move, and I think that's what the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 are going to try to do with this possible alliance. All right, so let's talk poll. Um, right, you were one of these six people who decided, no, I'm not going to do the, the Alabama thing. I'm going to go the Oklahoma thing. Uh, by the way, Clemson got some first-place votes. I think Clemson got three. I think Georgia, uh, Clemson got six. Georgia got three. Ohio State got one. So uh, as much as Alabama was a very strong number one, there was some differing opinions around uh, around not just you but but some other folks in the poll um but again i i guess the 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 hard thing these days is how do you did you give any consideration to anybody other than that top 5 cuz that's where the dividing line was within the poll and frankly we've sort of developed this super era of teams where you have one in each and four of the five power five conferences Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State and Clemson and Georgia is trying to establish itself as something of a super team it's recruited similarly but it just hasn't won at that level uh so was there any consideration outside of that top 5 or was that pretty much like okay I'm going to start with these 5 and I'll order them and then do the rest of the poll no that that was it um, I don't. I just didn't see anyone else that merited that type of consideration. Those programs had set themselves apart, uh, particularly. Even though I know Clemson has you know lost in in the playoff in pretty emphatic fashion the last couple of years, but Alabama and Clemson have set themselves apart from the others. Mm-hmm. But that group of five, those were the only ones I considered. And to be honest, I didn't really consider Georgia for number one, nor Ohio State. The considerations for number one for me were Oklahoma, Clemson, and Alabama. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, as I said earlier, Alabama and Clemson, I think, are stronger, more proven on defense, what Oklahoma has done defensively. And certainly Uyango Lule played well when he had an opportunity, but it's a different thing to be the guy. And Bryce Young hasn't played at all. So that's how I landed with them. I'm look. It may not be fair. I'm wait and see on Georgia. I know how they've recruited. I need to see. I need to see them finish the deal, or you know they can't finish till the end. They need to beat Clemson. You know I'm not going to beat around the bush. They need to win the game. You know one of the things, Ralph, that I learned and noticed, and think that we all in college football can learn from. In my time this summer hosting the Euros, 
they're not as shy about saying when somebody needs to win. In the Euros, <laughs> they said Belgium needs to win this thing, right? Georgia's Belgium. They need to win. <laughs> and until and until they do, and I'm not a big soccer aficionado. I, I, I studied it hard and got ready to try to do the job well. But they're a highly ranked team that hasn't won a big one. And that, you know, because of that, I didn't really consider them at number one. I think JT Daniels is a really good player, but he also played a lot of his games against, with the exception of Mississippi State, who's pretty good on defense, um, against some of the weaker defenses uh, on their schedule. And Cincinnati was certainly a good one, but they didn't walk up and down the field on the Bearcats, even without um, some defensive backs on Cincinnati's roster that, that day in the bowl game. So really it was only a three-team race for number one for me, though I do believe that, that Georgia deserves to be in that upper tier with them. And my only question about Ohio State is that they've just got so many new players. I know they're all wildly talented, and they're going to be really, really good. I just want to see them. You know, I just, you haven't seen C.J. Stroud yet, and we will shortly. So, so your next five becomes Oregon, uh, Cincinnati, North Carolina, Texas A&M, and Iowa. Now, you're a little higher on all of those teams, you know, somewhere ranging from one spot, two spots, to maybe eight, six, or six to eight spots than mm-hmm. the, the poll. For whatever that's worth. I, I always try to explain to people that there's a certain point, and I think the Ohio State line where you have them at five or that number five line is, is I think, a point where once you get to like six or seven, I'm not sure there's a huge difference between six and seven and 16 and 17 or 18. Uh, at that point, it, it's sort of what flavor do you like? Um, but I will ask the question this way. We have our super teams. We have our sort of super powers and our number, uh, number five dividing line. Uh, now, I know you'll probably, you could say Oregon because Oregon's number six, but when you sort of look at that, that landscape of who breaks in, what, what teams do I think could, now those are obviously your candidates, but without going through every single one of them, which, which of the teams that you look at, and maybe even it's, it, they're not even ranked in this order, but you find yourself thinking, like, there's some potential here that this is a team that could break up the super teams, that could break into the superpowers? The, for this season, the yeah, two just for that this I season. would say out of, yeah, that I would say from this group are Oregon. Uh, they have some of the issues that Georgia does, too. They you know, need to finish, they'll win some big games, but they've got the best player in college football. That's a great place to start in Kayvon Thibodeau. And the other is North Carolina. Uh, it's putting a lot on them, but I think that Sam Howell uh, is, you know, is going to have a sensational year, another sensational year. And even though they lost, you know, they lost running backs, they you know, replaced with a transfer from Tennessee. And uh, I, think that, I think that North Carolina with Sam Howell uh, another year under Mac, I think they've got a chance. Uh, to do it uh, simply because I think they can score a lot, and that's sort of the name of the game in, in college football these days. If A&M finds a quarterback, they certainly can, but the top two candidates for me at this moment will be Oregon because they've got the best player in the country and, uh, and North Carolina because they, they may well have the best quarterback in the country. We'll see. Yeah, you're gonna, so there's, a I guess, at least a chance you could be in Ames uh, with game day the second weekend of the season. Now, it's also Oregon, mm-hmm. Ohio State, so there's some other good candidates there, and we could run through them all. Um, but you'll, you'll be in Charlotte week one, right? We know that for sure. Or do we? Mm-hmm. No, we do. Okay, yeah, we'll be, all right. Uh, I just want to make sure I didn't, I didn't yeah, lay cats out of the yeah, bag there. Start, yeah, starting at week zero, we'll be in Atlanta for the HBCU class right, game between right. North Carolina A&T and Alcorn State. That'll also serve as a season preview show. And then uh, week one, Clemson and Georgia and Charlotte, for sure. And yeah, and you're right. Week two, that's a, that's a really strong candidate. And it's sort of, uh, we were just on a text chain. There are a large group of us. It includes uh, Herb Street and Bear and me and several other guys. And, and Herb Street and I were sort of pounding on Bear for his Iowa State love. And Bear was uh, trying to fight back because he doesn't care for my uh, Oklahoma number one pick. Uh, so we were sort of knocking around. I told him I was going to start calling Matt Campbell Bear Campbell, not because of Bear Bryant, but because of him. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that's another – we have a lot of teams that have to win those breakthrough games, and Iowa State beating Iowa would be, 
would be one of them. I right. mean, Guy was beaten five times in a row. Right, and just know? to and just to put that just to put the context on it, so Iowa State is ranked number seven in the preseason poll, which is the highest Iowa State has ever been ranked. Period. Stop. Like le- that was the highest ranking. Now they haven't played a game yet, so it's always a little weird when your highest ranking ever is in a preseason poll. But it just sort of gives perspective of. What exactly is going on there with Matt Campbell? This is a, a program that has just a no history of success. It, it's it's remarkable when you look back. This is the first time they will have been ranked in the preseason now three straight years. That had never happened before because actually before this, they had only been ranked in the preseason one other time. And they've been playing football at Iowa State for about 100 years. So it's it's thoroughly remarkable what they've been doing. I am much somewhat with you in that the expectations might be a little high for my liking this year, but I do love that dynamic of seeing your poll at Iowa at 10, not Iowa State with all the hype at 10 and Iowa State at 11. It is, I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup in, in Ames, but it is interesting. You're right that they haven't gotten as, as great as the accomplishments have been there as much as, uh, Matt Campbell has turned that around a program that hasn't seen, ever seen this type of success. They haven't gotten past that Iowa hump. It's, it's a big deal. And, but I will say this, what he's done is brilliant. It is not yet as long form, but it is not completely dissimilar, uh, from what Bill Snyder did at Kansas State. I mean, I know Kansas State was the worst program, and Iowa State wasn't that. But they were downtrodden, and for him to make them relevant and for for him to make them good enough for me to sit here in a preseason poll and demand that they beat their cross-state rivals. He's incredible, is, yeah. yeah. You know, that's pretty impressive in and of itself. I think he's a tremendous coach. I think Brees Hall is an All-American. I think Brock Purdy's a tremendous player as well, and they've got a great chance. But I I want to see him. I want to see him win the game, you know. And, and then after that, maybe my uh, my perception will change. In fact, they're, you know, they're gonna they're gonna get Iowa. Uh, Iowa, this team that I'm, you know, relatively high on, especially with the way they finished last year. Uh, they're opening against Indiana, and then they've got Iowa State week two. So I mean, it could be uh, uh, it could be either a glorious start or a really rough one for Iowa right out of the gate. Yeah, and right now, now you are again a little higher on Indiana than the consensus, but right behind Iowa State. And again, it's just to look at anybody's ballot and see eleven Iowa State and twelve Indiana, and you start going like, <laughs> "Wait, is it basketball season? Like, what, what's going yeah, what's on here?" This guy, right? Yeah, it, it, it. And again, just a remarkable job that Tom Allen has done. And again, now I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, Reese, I'm a little skeptical of both of those teams sort of rolling out to matching these expectations, maybe because I'm the guy everybody hates because I look at the brands and think like, really, are they going to do it again? So I always have a little bit of skepticism for schools like this. But boy, you know, if Iowa's number 12 in the nation to start the season, that makes them about the third best team in the Big Ten and maybe the second best team behind Ohio State. Um, mm-hmm. It's it, Yeah, it's been a great job by Tom Allen. But I, I, I must admit, I do wonder if they're, they're able to repeat sort of last year's magical season. I, I agree with you. This is one of those things that we talked about, about when you're ordering the teams, because you always insist, you never let me rank them in rows. You always make me rank them in columns. You know, so one <laughs> has to stack on top of the other. Right. This, was, this was a nod to the number of returning starters they have, um, the way they played last year, and the fact that with Penix being back and hopefully healthy that you know, this was a bit of a respect for what they've accomplished and many of the players responsible for that uh, have returned and they've also added you know a couple of guys that they think can be difference makers particularly on defense um, to replace some of the guys that they lost they've got you know linebackers uh, Marcelino Ball and now Ball McCrary I think who's played a lot of football for them but didn't play last year um, you know they've got a lot of experience on defense coming back that was a bit of a nod to the players who have proven themselves. I would be lying if I told you I didn't feel the same way that you do about them, that there is a bit of skepticism. Can they follow it up? Same with Iowa State. Uh, You know, Iowa didn't score a lot of points. I've got them ranked pretty highly. Are they going to be able to do it, or is this going to be one of the years where they lose a bunch of those 20-17 to games? Uh, So, yeah, there's there's skepticism there. I'm I'm not really pounding the drum for anyone 
beyond that top five with the possible exception of Oregon. And I do, I have some questions about the quarterback situation, but you know, beyond that, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, a wait and see on, on a lot of those teams, but you know, it's more fun if you, if you can stake a position somewhere and find a team that you, that you really believe in. In years past, people probably be shocked to see how low I have Texas A&M ranked because I've been the one the last few years who's had A&M, you know, up there right around the top five. And probably based on last year, one would think that this would be the year that they actually deserve that. But replacing Kellen Bond and playing an inexperienced quarterback now is, uh, it was a little bit of a bridge too far for me to put them up around the top five or six. But it's not like I'm disrespecting them. I still have them in the top ten, you know. Right, right, no doubt. So, again, we're not going to necessarily stop on every team, but Indiana, Florida, which is it's interesting. Florida was 13th end last year, last season. They're 13th to begin to begin this season. You have them 13th. If there's one thing we can all agree on, that is that Florida is the 13th ranked team in the nation, apparently. <laughs> um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stop on the Gators. I will stop on the next team because I think I'm contractually bound to stop on Notre Dame at number 14. <laughs> they are number nine in the poll. Uh, Reese has them at 14. So, you know, again, that's sort of the range of, that's, that's the range of outcomes. I don't think you're going to be high yeah. man. You're not going to be low man on them. Um, uh, but, but a little outside of, a little outside there where, where they end up landing in the actual poll. I, I too have a little bit of, of, of skepticism. Now they are among the, all the playoff teams. And we mentioned the other ones, um, Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. You throw in Notre Dame, all have new quarterbacks this year, which I think mm-hmm. is just a fascinating thing because, as you said, I think it, it, you know, when you have questions at quarterbacks, quarterback, it opens up every possible, it opens up a lot of possibilities. You could be really good at a lot of different places, but if you're having any kind of issue there, it, it drags your team down. So I look at mm-hmm. Notre Dame having to replace Book, who ended up being a fourth round draft pick. Just a phenomenal, turned out to be a really phenomenal player over the course of his career. And also, maybe more importantly, the identity of Notre Dame over the last few years has become that offensive line and is rebuilding that offensive line. I know they mm-hmm. will have talent there, but I also understand that there there's some rebuilding to do there. Um, do you, I guess if, if 14 is a rebuilding year at Notre Dame, it shows how well Brian Kelly has come, right? How, how far Brian Kelly has come with that program. It does. I mean, he's going to, what he's on target, I think, this year he's going to pass uh, Newt Brockney and be the winningest coach in Notre Dame history on, you know, by number of wins mm-hmm. at Notre Dame. It's because he's been there 12 years. You know, uh, what, 11 has sort of been the magic number over the years, whether it was Air or Lou or whatever. And uh, Kelly's been able to endure there and find a way to not only endure but thrive. They They have a great consistency. They um, you know, in basketball, Mike Bray says they have to get old and stay old in order to compete. I think Notre Dame in football is somewhat like that, but I think they've built enough of a enough of a pipeline where they can take a season like this one, where they're replacing guys on the offensive line, a new quarterback, and if Jack Cohn, who's won the job, will start against Florida State, is you know is solid then i think that they can be good because they have some difference makers on defense for sure and kyle hamilton is as good a defensive back as there is in the country um but you know they've they've got some i don't know that they've got big big tests early in their schedule but they've got tricky games they do that if they they're, really do if they're not just right you know that they could that they could stumble and and maybe it becomes you know an average season but if you win them then you give yourself an opportunity to build and, and improve and, and perhaps, uh, you know, maybe even threaten for yet another playoff spot, which they've made, what, uh, two of the last three years, I think. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you don't think of uh, right now, it's, it, you know, it's, it's hard to sort of wrap your head around Florida State being a game that Notre Dame should, should win comfortably, even, even as bad as Florida State has, has struggled over the last couple of years. It's still sort of hard to get your head around that, right? Like this is, mm-hmm. it's still Florida State. So, you know, to open on a Saturday night, or excuse me, on a Sunday night at Florida State on Labor Day weekend, you, you can't help but find yourself wondering, like, well, that's, that shouldn't be just a gimme. Um, and later in the month or, or in back-to-back weeks, it's at it's, you know, Soldier Field, Wisconsin at Soldier Field. And the next week, Cincinnati, uh, that mm-hmm. team that you have in the top 10, that group of five team that I think we're all sort of looking at, like, could this be a magical season for Cincinnati um, and maybe even you know, really make a legitimate playoff push? 
Well, Notre Dame plays them the week after they play Wisconsin. So you're right. I think I think it's interesting. Interesting start to the season for Notre Dame. And I'll actually do this. So you have Miami, which also has a very interesting start to the season at number fifteen because uh, they play they play Alabama, um, which of sorts uh, which like leads me to this uh, USC at number sixteen, uh, Louisiana Lafayette at number seventeen, Wisconsin at eighteen. I'm going to stop there because I think all of these teams have some interest, especially uh, Louisiana, Miami, Wisconsin, Notre Dame. You talked about this early season. As I looked at the early season schedules, and maybe it's just me looking, uh, being really taken by the Big Ten, I find myself feeling like there's a lot. Well, I feel like there's a a lot of times we get to October and we don't know much of anything yet. Maybe there's been a handful mm-hmm. of good games, but across the country, we still are sort of like, well, got a lot of teams that 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 are highly ranked but haven't proven anything yet. I feel like this year. We'll have less of that. I feel like there's a there's a fair amount of teams that don't just have one big game in the first month of the season, but because so many of these conferences are playing conference games early, there's like one, two, maybe even three tests within that first month of the season for a lot of teams. Penn State plays Wisconsin, right? For example, you know, we mentioned Indiana, Iowa, and with Louisiana, even though it's not a conference game, I mean. Texas plays Louisiana, Louisiana team that was really good last year, and they've got everybody back, you know, virtually mm-hmm. everybody. And it's, um, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that there are going to be more uh, bullet points on the resumes early. And, you know, we're really hoping to make sure that we embrace, after what what we went through last year, college football as a whole and not make everything, you know, about building your playoff resume and all of that type of thing. But it's really hard to overlook some of those early season games and how that will impact those types of perceptions and those types of cases. I think Clemson, uh, that, that first week, for instance, not to jump back to the top, oh, but that's sort good. of to illustrate your point about the early season, with the way their schedule falls the rest of the way, you know, unless NC State turns out with its veteran team to be, you know, as good as advertised and somebody else rises up, they don't have a much else on the schedule prior to the ACC championship game. And, you know, barring surprises, I mean, barring teams that are, are that turn out to be excellent teams. But as you look at it sitting here in August, that's really big. And to, we can't ignore that. You know, that's going to be significant for Clemson and for the ACC. Uh, you know, Georgia will, you know, will have other opportunities because of its schedule and because in theory they would play Alabama or Texas A&M or whoever if they get through the East. Um, Clemson, it doesn't fall that way quite as much. So I, I think those types of things are are significant. And just in, in terms of learning about teams, uh, you won't have a lot of the, you know, three group of five games and maybe weaker group of five games with a lot of the Big Ten teams where they sort of ease into it and we're still waiting to see just how good they are. We're going to know a little something. It might not be the definitive a thing, but we're going to know a little something about Penn State and Wisconsin after the first Saturday. Yeah, and then it also goes back to two of your other Big Ten teams that you had uh, uh, highly ranked, and that's Iowa, because we talked about in Iowa and Iowa State and how that's such a big game the second week of the season, but Iowa has to play host Indiana the first week of the season. Mm-hmm. Iowa could be rolling in there with one loss already, and, and again, you know, one or two losses doesn't necessarily mean your season is shot, but in college football, that's a big deal. If you have two losses, and you're, you know, if you're sitting there at one in two, or maybe like in Iowa, which is without question a good team, and all of a sudden on September 12th, man, you're 0-2, right? Like right. you've lost yeah. to Indiana, you've lost to Iowa State. Those are both really good teams. You could still win the pack. You could still conceivably win the Big Ten, right? There's a lot of room to win that mm-hmm. division and go on to the Big Ten championship game. But for college football, we tend to be we tend to overreact really throughout the season even early in the season but even throughout the season like one game we just have like monumental shifts in opinions and oh my god what does this mean to the rest of their season that's the way it's one of the things that i think makes college football great uh and i think we can still hold on to that when the when the when the playoff is bigger uh like but to have those kind of you know, shape-shifting, season-shifting, monumental games, so many of them early in the season, I I think is just a really fun dynamic. It's not a fun dynamic if you're a fan of a team who loses those games and you automatically go into panic mode. That's the only problem. I hope we hold on to it. 
because as much as it can be frustrating and as much as you want to value successful seasons, even if they aren't playoff seasons, there's something that is, that is special about that because it's part of the history and the fabric of the sport. Um, and, and I think, I think it's worth preserving because it's the only regular season left in which you are able to do that. And I hope that if, in fact, the playoff is expanded to 12, that there's still an element of that. Now, I don't want to see, you know, Clemson's season be over because they lose to Georgia, you know, or, or them to be viewed as somehow lesser if they lose to Georgia and win the rest of the games. Um, but there is something about the feel that you get about the significance that will be attached to the outcome of that game. You don't, you don't find that in any other sport. And the only thing that is similar, I guess, would be the one-and-done nature of the NCAA tournament. And certainly this is not one-and-done. It's not a be-all, end-all in any circumstances. But I can remember very vividly saying uh, in 2014 that I left myself only the slightest bit of wiggle room when Ohio State you know, got whacked by Virginia mm-hmm, Tech at mm-hmm. home that given the fact that Virginia Tech wound up being, you know, a 500 team or right at it, that that, that was very nearly, nearly a disqualifying loss. And I wouldn't argue with anyone who said that it was a disqualifying loss. As it turns out, it wasn't. And they proved to, to be the national champion that year. So, you know, you don't, it's not the tournament, but you at least get that feel of we've got to win this game. And I don't think you get that feel in any other sport in any other regular season. Yeah, it may be. I don't think it'll be what it used to be, but I I still think there can still be a ton of relevance and anxiety. I, I, again, I don't want yeah. us to lose that anxiety, anxiety and 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 importance to these. Er, to the, yeah, to these one singular games. It also it also speaks to not just whether we're going to make the playoff, whether we're going to win our conference, and whether, you know, things along those lines. I think for a lot of teams it speaks to, and uh, we're just going to keep running through here. So, uh, actually, let's do this. Let me take a quick break. I want to get to the back, the rest of your ballot. You have you know teams like LSU and Penn State, and LSU and Penn State are good examples of what we're about to talk about here, like the importance of a regular season game, not just to who wins a national championship, but other things, just like, you know, sort of trajectory of the program. So we're with Reese Davis from ESPN, the host of College Game Day, the great Reese Davis. We're going to roll through the rest of his preseason ballot. The AP Top 25 preseason poll is out. Reese is joining us as he has made an annual occasion of doing. And uh, we will be back on the podcast right after this. You're listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast with your host, Ralph Russo, the Associated Press College Football Writer. If you have any questions for our host or any of our guests, email the show at aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. And to get the rest of your football fix, also take a listen to the AP Pro Football Podcast with host Rob Motti, writer and sports radio personality as he tackles all the important news on and off the field of the National Football League and provide you with insider exclusives and in-depth analysis along with insightful interviews with Hall of Famers, current players, coaches, and executives. Rob will take you around the league, break down the biggest games, and keep you in the know only the way AP can. Like, subscribe, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. And we're back with Reese Davis from ESPN uh, going through his preseason top 25. The poll is out. But let's go back to your ballot here, Reese. And the reason why I stopped at 19 LSU, because we were talking about this idea of um, enormous games early in the season, you know, sort of creating a trajectory for what your program is short term and long term. And I think that the reason why college football will still always be special and have a lot of importance on singular games is a program like LSU. Two years ago wins a national championship. Last year goes 5-5. Five and five. Team sort of in disarray. Um, Those finish strong to at least go re- become respectable at the end. LSU starts the season at UCLA. Oh, they were going to be a pretty comfortable favorite there, though UCLA is pretty tricky. But the reason why that game is so big is not just because 
of what it means to LSU's national championship um, hopes. The reason why that game is so big is because if LSU loses that game, we talk about fan panic. You know, coming off of last season, I, I just wonder, like, wow, like, what exactly is like the mood of LSU if they think like, oh yeah, well we're ready to like you know throw 2020 in the in the waste paper basket, and now all of a sudden they slip at the Rose Bowl, and that's why I think you know there's still this this monumental feeling to a lot of college football games. It, it is huge for them. Uh, they've got a lot of players back. I think the way they finished the the last two games after just getting you know destroyed by uh, you know by Alabama and then coming back and winning that game in the shoe throw game against Florida and then you know not dueling Ole Miss showed that they didn't quit on O. Um, but it will be tumultuous around the program if they were to slip. If you start, if you look at their schedule, Ralph, after that, they've got a number of games that they really ought to win. Yeah. Um, and even games that you think are a little trickier, like uh, a potentially trickier, Auburn's a big wild card, and Florida, which should be good, but you know, new quarterback and all, those games are in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got a chance if they win that game to really, to really build some momentum and build some confidence. The flip side, though, is if they were to stumble in that game, that nothing that they do after that is going to be good enough, and everybody's still going to be wondering about them when they have that, uh, I think it's a three-week stretch, they go to Ole Miss and go to Alabama. And nothing will be good enough to say, they'll say, yeah, but they, you know, they didn't beat anybody. You know, maybe Florida would be an exception. but So maybe even getting to the Florida game will be the first time that they could calm calm the panic around the program. So I agree with you. It's a big tone setter for LSU about how the season's going to go. If they win that game, there's an opportunity to build some some real momentum and and with the talented roster that they have, it might well be something real and, and make them a threat in the SEC. Yeah, I mean I hate to always go, you know, I think some of the um the the panic, uh the quick trigger we have with coaches is probably not healthy for the sport. Um, but it just mm-hmm. sort of is the way it is. But it also builds, again, a lot of drama around the sport. And we are constantly, especially at programs like LSU and really throughout the SEC, but a lot of programs where there's not a lot of patience and that becomes the narrative of a season very quickly. Uh, it, it can very quickly it can go from, oh, what are your championship hopes to, oh, what happens if you're if you only go six and six? What you know? What happens to your coach? And even at a place where the coach just won a national championship two years ago, it's not unprecedented for things to go off the rails and get a little haywire. After, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, please, no, 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 no. I, I I agree with you, and I think what happens is that it plays into the fears of the fan base, and maybe in some cases, historically speaking, I'm not speaking of LSU right now specifically, but maybe in some cases of the administration that, that, or the boosters or whoever might be you know, uh, wielding the power at that particular moment, that they have doubts, that they have doubts that they can sustain a program as opposed to a team, mm-hmm. that, uh, that Ed Ogeron caught lightning in a bottle with, with Joe Burrow. And, and Joe Brady, that that being the perfect marriage and it, and it worked out perfectly that, that Gene Chizik, uh, caught lightning in a bottle with Cam Newton and Gus Malzahn, you know, mm-hmm. together at that time. And there are underlying fears that it was a one-off, mm-hmm. that you can't sustain it. Now, Ed's record at LSU is quite good. Oh, uh, yeah. Something like, you know, 45 14. But I think the turmoil, Surrounding the program last year and, and even beyond COVID was was something that probably alarmed some of the fans. But I think that they should I think that they should give them the benefit of the doubt. It would have been real easy to cash it in after the way they were embarrassed by Alabama last year, and they didn't. And I think that I think that's a positive sign. They certainly had quarterback issues last year, and, and even their situation this year with Brendan getting hurt again. No Johnson. Might well have beaten him out anyway, but he is largely unproven. So there are still questions surrounding them. But I do think that when you make those those quick decisions on a coach, often it is the result not necessarily of just overreacting. It's 
it's the fear that what you saw isn't sustainable mm-hmm. under that leadership. Right. And sometimes that's right, and sometimes it's wrong. You know, and but but we we know it's reality, and it, I think that's why it's really important for LSU. They don't have to win the national championship or even win the SEC, but they've got to be they've got to be good. They've got to be solid because they've got the players to do so, and they have to show that they can be that they can be steady and that there's not a turmoil waiting around every corner. Yeah, and and not to not to not to good, uh, throw this thing into reverse, but when I look at you know your number fifteen USC, uh, excuse me, uh, Miami, and your number sixteen USC. You know those are the type of programs that again, there's always this heightened sense of urgency where it's not just um, are we because they haven't been championship level in recent years. Uh, when are they going to be quote unquote back to championship level? I feel like with Clay Helton, we're, we're on year number seven of Clay Helton. And it, I feel like the last four years have been, as John Wilner from the San Jose Mercury News called it, it's, it's, uh, it's Groundhog Clay, right? It's every, it's just, it's just <laughs> the same. Yeah, it was a great line. I, I've been, I've been using it a lot crediting John, but it's just, it's every year, it's the same thing. It's like, how many does Clay have to win this year? And again, like that's, Maybe that's not necessarily the best part of the sport, but that's a big part of the sport, and it creates this uh, tension, urgency um, in, in some of these games early season or even throughout the season that puts a little extra pressure. And we find these teams interesting, not just because they may or may not be in the playoff chase, but because of the dynamic of sort of like the bigger picture. When will this will this team with a high ceiling? Uh, meet that ceiling again, or when will this team, or or who are the teams that sort of come out of nowhere, like your you know twenty two Coastal Carolina or your seventeen Louisiana Lafayette? Uh, in between there, by the way, Reese had number twenty Washington and number twenty one Ole Miss. Ole Miss didn't get ranked, but but they were sort of right on the outside there. Um, among the others receiving votes. But I think the season in some ways almost becomes uh, a lot of it is driven by those two things. It's we look for the traditional powers and see if they're living up to their expectations. And then the, the fun thing is to see which of the teams that aren't the traditional powers emerge uh, as the season rolls along, because the chances are, you know, the numbers say about 10 of the teams that are ranked in the preseason won't be ranked in the offseason at the end of the season. So those two dynamics, which of the powers will will stumble and which of the non-traditional powers will come up and have magical years. It, it is one of the fascinating things every year. Um after watching BYU last year in the opener against Navy. Now, it turns out that Navy was in no way, shape, form, or fashion what they typically are under Ken Niamatololo. But that night, you know what good looks like, and BYU was really good. and set up that massive you know, last-minute schedule game against Coastal Carolina with two emerging uh, teams that kind of came from nowhere last year. And it is a compelling storyline how what is – what is fair for them? What have they earned uh, based on their merit? Uh, do they merit inclusion into the playoff? All of those things, uh, do they merit inclusion into a New Year's Six game? All of those things uh, are are really compelling. And, you know, I think that, you know, for the powers, you know, you know there's, there's not that margin for the feel-good story. I mean, SC lost one game last year and he pulled a couple out of the fire for sure. Um, but you know, it's probably time sort of stating like, you know, calling Georgia Belgium earlier in our mm-hmm. conversation, um, as he's there. And I was the guy who, who sort of pounded the desk when Clay Helton was hired and said, this is what USC needs. They don't need a guy who's worried about, you know, getting inside the red velvet rope at Bootsy Bells. They don't need a guy who's worried about, you know, making the A-list parties. They need a guy who worries all the time about converting third and four. That's Clay Helton. And I think he was exactly what they needed at the time. And now that we're in year seven, it's okay to say, we think you're a really good coach. And I do. I think he is a very good coach. The results have to be in line with what is expected at USC. I hate the phrase 
unrealistic expectations because usually what that means most people say it is they don't want to they don't they don't want to criticize somebody for losing mm-hmm. and you know or, or maybe a better way to put it in this case is not winning at the level at which they would like to win there's nothing wrong with that um you know i don't want anybody to lose their job or be unfairly evaluated but it's okay to have the expectations that we have to win here I do think that, you know, I don't want to get us on a tangent, but SC's problems aren't just SC. There, there's something that the Pac-12 needs to address, and maybe the region has to find a way to make football important and um, more attractive to the players in that area to play there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being an Alabama alum, people are going, you know, the other alums may come after me for saying this, but when you have Tua and Najee Harris, and you know maybe you know maybe Jonah Williams is a little different, and, and the lineman they have now, I think, from California is a big deal. His name's escaping me at the moment. I think there were connections to Alabama, but with two and Najee and and Uyango Lale playing at Clemson, and you know countless other guys who left the region to go play oh, Bright, places where Bryce they, Young yeah, now, the yeah, the, the new Alabama and Bryce quarterback. Young, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, of course, yeah, and Bryce Young too. Leaving the area, that's not just a USC problem. That's a, that's a perception that the players believe it's a, it's more fun, it's a bigger deal, it's a bigger stage over there, way over there, you know. And that's something that's not just Clay's problem, not just Chip Kelly's problem. That's a region and a conference issue that has to be that has to be addressed. And you know, how do they do that? I don't know. Maybe the scheduling alliance will help. Um, you know, maybe just putting more effort into recruiting, though I imagine those schools I mentioned put quite a, quite a bit of effort into recruiting. But they have to win those battles, and I think that's where, that's where it changes. And that's, that's why I, I don't want to just give you know, a program like USC a pass based on that because they have proven in the not-too-distant uh, history that they are able to get those players and do the reverse, reach across the country and bring them to Southern California. Mm-hmm. So it can be done, but I do think that there are some extenuating circumstances that go beyond just Clay Helton being the head coach at USC. Okay, we talk about these programs that, to a certain degree, I, I almost wonder sometimes if some some fan bases don't necessarily um, enjoy enjoy the winning enough right like i just sometimes it was like with because you know i'm not necessarily a fan of any of them and you sort of find yourself thinking like man like you got it pretty good like you should enjoy yourself like you know like a little more like you should smile more often because like your team is pretty good and i think of penn state a little bit like that i think when franklin sort of first turned the corner there because they obviously had come out of some dark times uh in on different levels there was clearly an enjoyment of like, wow, okay, we're back and we're good again. And isn't that awesome? Because there was a chance that this was, it was going to take a lot longer. And now mm-hmm. I found myself thinking a little bit like, you know, I, I understand you're not Ohio State, but boy, you've had it pretty good there. And I, I just like, and, and this, this is not just a Penn State thing. I'm using Penn State as an example because they're number 23 on your list. I wanted to talk about them a little bit because I do think some of this happens at a lot of the really big programs. It happens throughout all of almost all of the SEC programs to a certain degree, like LSU. Again, like, like you got it pretty good. Like, you know, be happy, be happy about what you got because you got it pretty good. And I think, um, it's hard sometimes for, I think, some of the SEC programs because they have such high, reasonably high standards to enjoy what the good things that they've got. But I do wonder with Penn State coming off of what was a, a, a just a year that was just nuked in many different ways. It was, it, you know, opt-outs and injuries and weird losses at the beginning of the season that I think spiraled the team. I, I am super fascinated to see how Penn State regroups and either sort of makes last season look like an anomaly or maybe there were some fractures there. Maybe there are some things that need to be reinforced in James Franklin program and, and maybe there needs to be a little bit of tweaking or a little, uh, maybe there's a step back here, a legitimate step back and not just a freakish COVID year step back. I I, I don't know which is the way I w- we're going here, but I'm fascinated to watch it play out. I Me too. I think they're going to take a step back forward. I don't think that they are talented enough 
to challenge Ohio State or anything like that. But I, much like LSU, I think it's to their credit the way they finished the season, albeit against you know teams that weren't necessarily uh, you know the strongest teams. But you know you start zero and five like that, and there's not a lot to play for in the the COVID year and everything that you mentioned. They too could have just sort of played out the string, and they actually they actually finished pretty well. I think that their change at offensive coordinator is going to is going to benefit them uh, with Yersich coming in, who's a, who's a proven guy, maybe a little bit more aligned with with what uh, you know what James has done previously. So that's schematic. But what you're talking about more is is culture and atmosphere and uh, oh overusing that word culture that everybody uses now, but the the feeling, the vibe, the momentum around the program and where will that go? And, you know, we're going to find out again with them. Again, the trajectory of their season will be known in full, uh, maybe not the result, but the trajectory will be established after the Auburn game. Week three, they play Wisconsin on the road to open and they have a game against Ball State they should win and then they play Auburn. You know, so it's uh, they have Indiana a couple of weeks after that. So we're, you know, we're going to we're going to know the trajectory of Penn State season and whether they have been able to uh, take last year, at least from a record standpoint, and make it just an anomaly and that they're on their way back, or you know, are they have they hit a little bit of a lull where they're going to have to even do some uh, deeper searches other than offensive coordinator to do a little reset. Okay, so we'll finish it up here. Uh, TCU at 24, Oklahoma at tw- State at 25. That's for Reese. In the actual poll, those two spots were held by Utah and Arizona State. So you went with two Big 12 teams. Uh, two Pac-12 teams ended up there. And we'll just finish it up with this, Reese. Uh, who else was there? As you got to, once you hit TCU and Oklahoma State, who were in your others receiving votes or your others receiving consideration? The two, the two that you mentioned were right. Uh, right at the top. In fact, I sort of played with that group of four a little bit. I gave a little bit of consideration, uh, honestly, to UCF. Uh, I gave a little bit of uh, a little bit of consideration, though not quite as much to Auburn. I just sort of looked over Auburn. I just I couldn't couldn't quite get there with them. But I think that you know Arizona State uh, was probably the team that was most likely to make it for me. I'm I don't know why. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. I'm I'm really concerned about all of the off the field stuff, and I know that investigations these days don't mean what they used to. But I'm a little skeptical of them. I'm a I'm a big believer in their quarterback, Jaden Daniels. I I think that Herm has has recruited, from what I understand, their offensive and defensive lines are are bigger, stronger bodies than they have been in the past. This is another gut thing. I want to see exactly how they play, the intensity with which they play, what's going on out there with with the the other stuff. Is it simply you know just being aggressive in recruiting and they got nabbed, uh, which won't be a big deal at all, or is there something else? And well, you know, you're also removing of, a, some coaches, right? I mean, they they put yeah. some coaches on leave, and you know that that could have right. an effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so those those things, you know, I'm I'm waiting to see that is. That's the reason I didn't include them in the top 25. Uh, the the other the other one that I considered strongly was Utah because much like TCU, every year I always try to give Utah and TCU the respect just because of how how good a job I believe that uh, Kyle Whittingham and Gary Patterson do with their talent. Now, you know, Gary's probably do a little bit of a bounce back here here. And historically, he's he's done a pretty good job with that, and I think they're going to be a little bit healthier than they've been, uh, particularly at quarterback to start the season. So, you know, I, I went ahead and went with them, but those are the teams that that I considered as well. And I, I really, I really believe that Gus has stepped into a good situation at UCF, brought some players with him, got an exceptional quarterback, but one who doesn't necessarily fit the mold of guys who've been most successful in Gus's offense. So it gave me a little bit of pause with UCF, but I think there's an opportunity for them to be really good this year too. And the one team and one other team that Reese did not have ranked, uh, that the, ended up being ranked, was Texas. 
And we're not, I'm not going to go too deep into this, Reese, because we mm-hmm. talk so much about Texas on this show. Everybody yeah. talks about Texas. But I, I, I did want to bring up the fact that, like, you know what? I think a lot of people will look at Reese's ballot and say, boy, you're a smart guy. Make Texas prove it. Because, boy, you know, Texas every year. We've been hearing about when Texas is going to be back for a long time. And I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I, I Like, Texas showed mm-hmm. up in the poll, and that's fine. However the voters want to pick is fine. But I do find myself also being a little bit of, like, Maybe we want to let Texas prove it. Now, that said, and I think it also speaks to why Sark took this job and why this job might be more appealing than it has been in recent years. Um, You know, Texas has been sort of a a borderline ranked team for about two, three years now. Like that. Texas is not is not starting from scratch here with Sark. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. uh, this season, because I think as much as fans will go, oh, Texas again at number 21. Gosh, will those voters ever get it right? Yeah, I don't know if Texas has as far to go to be in that ranked conversation as maybe they've had maybe three, four, five years ago. There's no doubt about it. They were really, uh, you know, they were really close. Now, look, they they pulled they pulled a couple out, too, but their losses were, you know, by a single possession every time and one of those was what quadruple overtime against Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You know, so they they certainly have players but with with the new quarterback, new coaching staff, I'm that that's kind of where I am. And also with the with the fact that uh that I think they're gonna start 0 and one. I think Louisiana's gonna beat them. There you uh, go. All right. Know. I mean now if if they have a veteran quarterback, maybe not. But um first first game out and look, you know, maybe maybe they'll flex their uh, their talent, though I think Louisiana's talented. They've got a lot of guys who are, um, you know, who are power five level bodies and mm-hmm. stuff. So I'm, I'm, I think Texas eventually will do very well under Sark and they'll probably be very good by the end of the season. But I, I didn't, I'm sort of there with you. Let's, let's, let them prove me wrong on I think I think Louisiana will be a big enough underdog week one for me to take them as my super dog for the second straight year and have them come through for me for the second straight year. I think they'll be a big enough probably a touchdown or so uh underdog to to Texas. If they beat them handily, then you know, then they will make an appearance right after that and probably take a little bit of a jump because they you know, they've got a lot of guys who've played a lot of ball uh coming back and in Sark's first year. All right, so Reese Davis is now, uh, the, the, uh, uh, everybody loves you everywhere, Reese, but you are especially well-loved in Louisiana Lafayette right now. <laughs> Lafayette, Louisiana right now. Uh, the Raging Cajun fans are, are going to be loving that pick. Uh, it is one of the more interesting games of the first week of the season. Reese, man, thank you so much for spending an hour here talking about college football, rolling through your ballot. Thank you so much for voting in the poll uh, you and 62 other uh, media members do a great job of uh, being dedicated to this. Again, it's a fair amount of work at a time when you guys all have and gals have a lot of work to do. So I'll, I'll say this. Thank you to Reese and thank you to all the voters. Reese will be the uh, stand in for all the voters. Thank you from the AP for doing this. It means a lot. I know you take it seriously. And we love the fact that you're able to come on the show here and share your thoughts. Thank you for having me, Ralph. Always a pleasure. And now, three and out. First down. I like to tell people that, to an extent, I look at the poll just like a fan does. Now, I don't get quite so bent out of shape as some fans when I disagree with the voters, but I often disagree with the voters. So who do I think might be overranked in the preseason poll? I'll take Iowa State, Indiana, and Coastal Carolina. Though I must say, as much as I have been totally on team skepticism about Indiana in the offseason, I am starting to waver on the Hoosiers a bit. I really like the talent IU has added in the transfer portal to plug up some holes. Of those three teams, I think IU is the most likely to prove me wrong. Iowa State will be very good again, but I think I'd be more in the 11 to 15 range on the Cyclones as opposed to number seven. And as many returning starters as Coastal has coming back, the Sunbelt East is pretty tough. And it can be really hard to replicate a magical season. You hear me talk about that all the time. I think the Chanticleers take at least three regular season losses in 2021. 
second down. Which teams are underranked? I'll go with LSU, though I understand that there's a high variance there with LSU. I think that they have a tendency to be a little volatile. Uh, I think that they have a chance to be very, very good this season, but I also think that there is at least a little bit of a chance that things go off the rails again. Uh, But I'll go with LSU, and I'll take that talent as being underranked at 17. I think Utah will finish better than number 24, which is where the Utes start. Other than that, though, I keep looking at USC and Oregon and thinking that one of them will solve their big offseason question and become a legit playoff contender. Why not both, you say? Because the Pac-12 never gets that kind of luck. Third down. A couple of things to keep in mind when looking over the preseason poll. On average, about 10 teams that start the season ranked finish unranked. One or two of those teams, generally, comes out of the top 10. No, the fun part is learning about all the places we were wrong. There will be plenty of places where we were wrong, and it will create a lot of excitement and enjoyment this season. So don't worry about being wrong. We're wrong all the time. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you'd like to get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. If you have questions that you'd like me or my guests to answer, email them to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you on all topics, college football, serious or silly. That's aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.